Hi there, this is the Music Ally podcast. I'm Joe Sparrow. Uh, this is a special edition of the podcast, an interview with musicians and activists Zoe Keating and David Lowry, uh, talking about artist rights in the streaming era. Uh, now, we've discussed this quite a lot on Music Ally in our writing and our TV shows recently about how much money is paid to the copyright holders, and in particular the artists, from streaming platforms. It's a controversial and thorny debate uh, that has a lot of different perspectives and sides to it. So it's an ongoing conversation here on Music Ally. We asked Zoe and David to come and talk to us as they're two of the most prominent voices for artist rights in the streaming era. Solo artist Zoe has regularly published her streaming income data um, so that the world has been able to see how much she makes per stream. She was uh, an early adopter of Bandcamp and has been a vocal critic of a number of streaming platforms uh, over the years. David Lowery combines his music career um, in Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven with teaching at the University of Georgia's Terry College of Business, running the artist rights blog The Tricordist, um, which also publishes its own annual table of average per stream rates, and famously he filed a class action lawsuit against Spotify on behalf of independent songwriters in late 2015, and the lawsuit was settled in 2017. So we brought them together and in the light of these recent discussions about how um, the music streaming model pays musicians, um, the broken record campaign in the UK, for example, being a very vocal uh, critic of that. Um, so we asked them how they think streaming could and should improve for artists, songwriters, and everybody who makes money from streaming. It's a great conversation, uh, and we're going to jump straight in and ask them about the state of play in music streaming from an artist's perspective in 2020. What do you, perhaps I can ask you what you think of the, the, the state of that situation between payments coming from uh, streaming platforms and artists in 2020. Um, from my perspective, not really that much has changed in all the years that I've been talking about it. <laughs> um, I feel, still feel like generally when, whenever I discuss this topic, um, there's a, a large percentage of people who say, shut up, you whiny artist. Um, or it used to be, get out there and tour, go out and tour, you know, sell merch. And I am really, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happening. But one tiny silver lining is that everybody can really see how, hey, wow, you've just taken away a large percentage of our artist's income. That thing that tech bros used to say to me, just tour. Um, without taking into consideration the life circumstances of an artist or, you know, that that might only work if you're 21. Um, that uh, now people can see like, oh yeah, maybe this doesn't work. We need to come up with something. So I'm delighted to be able to talk about that and have that sort of, those judgments kind of taken away. Um, I still feel like there's not enough experimentation and I, um, I have some hope around you know the idea of the user-centric model where the idea that a subscription fee goes to the musicians or the artists you actually listen to rather than it being a popularity contest um, and um, I think the proof will be in the pudding of that one we still don't really know and um, I, I would like to see that that's something I'd like to see developed more and with that in mind are we in a situation where change might actually, the kind of change you've been talking about might actually be able to happen? Do you feel positive at the moment? Sort of in the streaming era, uh, you tour more, right? Um, or in the digital era, we started touring more and that was kind of this, we sort of gave up some of our recorded music rep. Like we used to tour to sort of 
generate sales of music, right? Mm -hmm. And and your and your touring was kind of break even, and uh, or you made a little bit of money, and the ticket prices were definitely a lot lower, right? Mm -hmm. And so the digital age, we slowly shifted where we started charging more for tickets. We started paying more, playing more shows, right? And this kind of distracted us because in a way it seemed like we were making the same amount of money, perhaps more money. But ultimately, as an artist, you didn't really make that much touring. So I'm kind of excited in a way, sort of a perverse way, that, that we're now looking at what actual recorded music generates and perhaps we can get back to a healthier, more sustainable system. If change could happen now, and we're in a moment where it might happen, what is that change like? And what can artists right now, as actual next steps, um, do to, to try and make that happen? One thing right now is to focus on um, strengthening the bond between the artist and their audience. Having less middlemen, less people mediating that experience. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, artists are really good at connecting with people. And I, sometimes I feel like everything about the digital music industry is designed to sever that relationship so that other people can take some of the money. <laughs> do you think that's um, a deliberate severing? I do, actually. Ones? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I try not to be a conspiracy theorist, but sometimes I feel like that is deliberate. I think, you know, it's only when pressured that services like Spotify have added ways for um, their users to connect with the artists. They want to keep. They want. They want to keep the world. Everybody inside their sandbox, um, and they don't want people to leave the ecosystem to go to me. There's a lot of different experiments happening, and there's no consolidation yet. <laughs> I start. I felt the sense of dismay over the last few years as all the services have kind of consolidated into just a few, um, and that's when number one, power starts being taken away from those in the bottom, <laughs> and also it's sort of boring. So, um, <laughs> so this long-winded way that I, I don't think there is a, a way yet, but generally all the ways to build the connection between me and my audience without having a service mediating that experience. And I don't mean to be a booster for one particular company, but a good example of this kind of new way of doing things is Bandcamp, where yes, it's a platform, mm -hmm. they do take mm -hmm. a fee, mm -hmm. there's a lot of artists on there, but you set your own prices and the way that your music is released. One of the things is, is some people want your music right away and they'll pay to download it, right? And they'll pay a premium, like $20. I have a song, I have an album on there right now. And I suppose once that album has a certain age, um, I, will, I will put it on the other streaming services, mm -hmm. right? So what I've done there is, yes, I've windowed like <laughs> the movie business. What I'm getting at is that I think there's not a one size fits all solution here. And what we really need is like for a hundred flowers to bloom, you know, mm -hmm. we need a hundred experiments going on. Mm -hmm. We need people trying different things to figure out a new way to monetize the music. That's exactly the issue I've always had with Spotify. Their model is one size fits all for a particular kind of popularity contest. Mm -hmm. And we're way more diverse than that. And we have, our fans are way more diverse. And, um, you know, I want to capture the, 
out of the 10 people listening, one of them is going to really care and want everything, you know, right. and the, the other nine are going to be, might be casual listeners and you, you need to be able to reach both of them. And might, you might reach them in different ways. If, if these platforms are built around that concept of a flat fee and everything in return, do artists have to look elsewhere? Is, I'm not saying is, is Spotify you know, a busted flush for them, but is, is there hope that the streaming platforms will operate differently? I feel like there, there is, oh, sorry, I feel yeah. like, oh, sorry. I feel like there is some, some hope in there. You know, their, their Spotify artist area, which they, you know, just did in, really in response to criticism. Um, that could be refined because it, it's not all that it mm -hmm. could be. So I, I do think there is something there, but actually, yes, I do think that we need the, um, we need the twitches of the world to work for us. <laughs> you know, like all the, that maybe this goes up to, you were talking, we were talking about blanket licensing before that, um, it, is there some way that we could build in something more fair that isn't just exploitative? Um, uh, Spotify is actually somewhere in the middle as far as payments go. And if you listen to Spotify on the premium level instead of on the ad supported level, it's usually about eight times as much revenue goes towards the artists. So, you know, one thing that happens, everybody just listened on the premium model, but uh, YouTube also, which is probably at least 40%, of all music consumption yeah the, the big gap here value gap is i think what the industry is calling it now is the uh is that youtube pay plays so little you know depending on which part of their platform it's as little as 120th of what mm -hmm. you know we would normally see so in some ways we don't really know even really what the streaming economics look like because you have this wild disparity between say mm -hmm. what apple music pays and what youtube pays and it's a huge portion but do, do you think in some ways it's a distraction when we mm -hmm. when we focus on each different platform's uh, fraction of a penny that they pay per stream and actually we should be looking at, at, at something else we should mm -hmm. be looking at how that money is divided in the first place and for what it is well, yes and no, but, but the, the, the difference is so extreme between, say, a YouTube to Apple Music that we actually do have to focus on that. That is an issue that we need to fix, and I think those rates will probably come up in Europe, depending on what happens with the copyright directive. Do those 15% royalty rates that we got, say, back in the 1990s in a physical product world, is that really fair for today's streaming world where you don't have physical products? Should we be paid a higher rate on that? Yeah, probably. Yes. Yes. So the division, you're talking about the division between the record labels and, and the artists. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of the problem. And I think that should be something that we should address, too. Is your recommendation to emerging artists um, to, to not to not engage with with the label system and to uh, to sort of be patient and persevere their own way? Because as you said, you know you can push a button on Bandcamp and, and you know yeah. later receive a, a reasonable income. I think it depends on what your genre is. Um, in some ways, you know, like in my instrumental genre, it it wasn't clear to me that a record label could give me the promotion that I would need to make their cut worthwhile. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think so that it's really like, you know, it's whoever you work with is going to make your world bigger. And, um, you know, one of the downsides of doing it yourself is you might not be growing as much as you could because you don't have that team behind you. But um, 
you know, it's a trade-off. So I, I think it depends on the artist. Some artists are very good at um, just getting themselves across. And I feel like they should actually focus on building an audience that, that loves them and supports them and that will, that will kind of float them up to maybe to the next level when they, then they could work with the label to expand a little bit. Yeah. But other artists might be much better off with a, with a record label. So um, I think, it, again, it's not, it's not one size fits all. So. Yeah. David, <laughs> you know, our major labels, they're happy at the moment. They're making a you know, million dollars yeah. a minute or something, in, uh, an hour in, uh, you know, in, in income from streaming platforms. Um, is there a danger looming for them? Well, yes, possibly, because if, you, if you're coming in later, once an artist is popular, um, which seems to be the case, somebody goes viral on YouTube and then you come in later, what, is that, what does that artist really need? What is the value add? Now, let's go back to 1988, I guess, when I put out my first major label record. Sorry, I'm that old. Um, I was 12. Um, so, no, um, the record company gave us like a $150,000 advance to make a record. So we didn't have to take that from our touring income, you know. Um, they dictated how we spent it. And then they also probably spent another $150,000 making three videos, one of which got shown on MTV. And, but the exchange was like a 15% royalty rate rather than, you know, 85% that you can get from going through a distributor. I think actually that was a good exchange, you know, <laughs> for us at that time. We had stuff that would get on the radio and things like that. I do though think that labels signing artists after they've gone viral means they're probably paying a lot more for those artists. And the question of the value add is, I mean, it's questionable, right? So. Do you think that the fans are becoming more aware now of that connection and what it means, whether it's through streaming or through merchandise, etc.? And do you think that they are sort of understanding that they have, for want of a better word, a specific responsibility towards artists and transferring money to them in exchange for the art? Uh, a lot of my audience are used to just sort of consuming my music wherever it is, and they haven't necessarily thought about it, like where it came from. Um, or how I make a living and, and such. And um, there are a lot of people who, who are very shocked that I'm actually, you know, I don't earn anything from YouTube. Yeah. Well, or, what do they say when you sort of explain this to them? They ask this, they're like, oh, wow, how do I, how do I, where do I buy your music? You know, um, because there's a, there's a lot of, you know, my, my listeners are broad from like the older NPR crowd who will buy physical CDs or, Maybe they even like it if I had cassettes. I don't know. Um, but And then there's the, the younger folk who might not even be familiar with the concept of going to a website, you know, <laughs> like going Just to a website. Yeah. 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 They're like, they're like, well, well, where can I find your music? And I'm like, zoekeating.com. And so I've been doing like almost like an education thing to just drive people towards my website, which is mostly Bandcamp and saying, listen, this is where you can find me. If you sign up for my mailing list, anything that happens, I will tell you. As soon as I do live streams, I'll tell you, it'll be just us, it'll be just us together. So. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how, what are you hearing from the fans and as they understand how money reaches you from them? But yeah, I've sort of redoubled my efforts with the website, with our email list, with our SMS uh, text messaging list and other things 
to sell the stuff directly, to, to sort of engage this sort of windowing technique that I'm using right now with, um, you know, this sort of solo project that I'm doing right now. Um, so that's important. And I'm frustrated that, for instance, when I do go into uh, Spotify or Apple Music or any of the things like that, I don't really have a way. I, I noticed for me, because I so much of my earnings were iTunes downloads. And for a long time, iTunes was like, was the sandbox for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. if they wanted something, they would just, they would just download it. And um, it became, I joked that it was my, I was paying my mortgage with it because it was so regular and so constant. Um, and that only really started to decline as streaming took over, like in the last couple of years. In, right. in terms of then a sort of hybrid of that, of, of fans wanting to support artists and streaming platforms, what about user-centric payments? Do you think it's a, it's, it's, it's a forward step solution? And if so, um, what's holding platforms back from implementing it? Um, I think platforms have an issue with it be okay well first of all i do think it's a step forward because most people if you ask them when you stream something does your money if you get on you know apple music let's use apple music for a while okay that's just uh if you if i get on apple music and i just listen to your music all month my 9.99 or my 14.99 just all goes to you right and you tell them no it doesn't they're confused by that so first of all, I think it's a good idea in that it meets the consumer's expectations for what they are doing. Secondly, just in general, since we are still a market economy, it's kind of nice that the invisible hand, you know, <laughs> that money goes to where consumer demand is. I think that's just generally good for any economic ecosystem. It matches what people want. But, um, more importantly, um, I feel like niche artists and middle-class artists, the mid-tier of artists, are the ones that are really struggling right now. And they tend to be the ones with the paid fans and sort of the super fans. Do you think fans uh, or subscribers of these platforms should be paying more? The, the, the price for Spotify hasn't risen for a long time. Do you think that they're... Un they're they're used to paying nine ninety nine. It's say in a lot of countries for access to all music every month. Should that be doubled? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> ah, good. I actually okay, think we found debate. Okay, <laughs> I actually think no. Um, I think that uh, I think there's a lot of things. That, you know, everybody's paying for every single service. You know, you've got, you're paying for Netflix. You're paying for your Amazon. You're paying for your you know Spotify. You're probably paying for maybe you're paying for Pandora. And I I think that um, I'd like to see it divided fairly by actually what you're listening to first and then i'll then we'll see if it's more but um in in that world i feel like it's it's going to be really hard to ask people to pay more um but i well i i thought that as well except for the fact that like for instance many of the subscription um video services have in fact partitioned their video i, I um i don't know if it was amc or fx or what i was looking at there is still stuff that i get in fx but i have to i, I might be wrong about the particular app but i have to pay more to get to their newest content mm. and i think something like that could work got it 
that there's cheer, kind of a, a, a cheer. More yeah. tears. Yeah. But that, I, mean, I wouldn't, you couldn't give the people what they have right now, mm -hmm. just charge more for it. You'd have to yeah. go, all right, you get the first two weeks of music or something like that. But that's right. my opinion. Right. Yeah. So, so, so it could be, a, you spoke, you spoke about windowing before and this is like windowing. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so you could say you pay a little bit of a, a premium per month to right. access music in the first two weeks of release or month of something release like and that. then, or you pay the lower fee and access all catalog. Yeah. Back in uh, 2015, there, I had a bit of a kerfuffle with YouTube where I took, you know, offense at their contract that they were essentially making me sign because if I didn't sign it, then I couldn't participate in their scheme. Um, and my music would be on there without my permission. <laughs> so, um, but, but the main point was this, they wanted me to say by participating with YouTube, I agree not to window that I will forever release my content on YouTube at the same time that I release it on Bandcamp. And I said, that is absolutely outrageous. I won't do that. And it's not fair. And that was, um, you know, that was one of the reasons why I, I decided to leak their NDA contract was because I felt like that's not right. And the only reason there's no sunshine on it is because it's wrong. <laughs> right. <You know>? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway. yeah, uh, yeah. So that's, that's an interesting mm -hmm. thing. And while uh, I don't know if that, if that model works for everybody, it certainly should be, artists should be allowed to try it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, essentially what we're sort of, we're sort of reaching the sort of, the culmination of the conversation and what we're talking about essentially i guess maybe as progress like we've identified there's not really one clear we didn't get into this like one thing didn't happen that got us into this you know what i mean just yeah. we're, we go back i mean yeah I always say there's 17 things that got us yeah. into this, but I don't really know what those you're, 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 are. It's sort right? of, if you like, you're undoing a knot and the yeah. knot has been built up over a long period of time and there are lots of different elements to it that you need to yeah. address. But one of the things that we've spoken about a lot is uh, the idea of uh, giving artists the freedom to, to make more choices outside mm -hmm. of this kind of black box system. Now, one of the things that... Um, uh, we, when we when we spoke to one of the founders of the UK's broken record campaign, Tom Gray, who is a, a songwriter himself and um, uh, has been a campaigner for um, better royalty rates for songwriters and artists, he said that his. If I said, "What's your immediate next step? If you could, what should the industry do? You know, labels and streaming platforms and and, and songwriters." And he said to get those people, maybe with sort of government. Um, insight around a table and make new things happen make change happen is that realistic or is that even then too, too big a, a step in one go what, what is what is the next step towards change is what i'm interested mm -hmm. in because i think a lot of people will be watching yeah. this and saying okay i want artists to get paid more yeah i mean i think there, there's been another sort of thread through our entire conversation here and that is uh knowledge and sunlight <laughs> and that uh, David is doing this, I'm doing this, everyone I know is doing Like we're, we're educating people because we feel like the services, sometimes it's in their best interest to not have, not have their users know how things work. Um, and so one thing that I would love to see is, yes, discussions, sort of public ones in a way, about how things work now, how they could work, and what systems could we make that would be transparent. Um, you know, the music industry is guilty of keeping things hidden as well, <laughs> right. you know? So, um, I, you know, I always say that uh, 
one thing about I, I'm able to release my data is because um, it's only me and I'm not ashamed of it. And, you know, I think in the music industry, a lot of people have a vested interest in appearing larger than you really are because that's how deals work. You know, you have to seem really big so you can get a good deal. And um, I think the way forward is for transparency, as uncomfortable as that might be um, across whatever kind of payment systems or, you know, if there is blanket licensing of some kind in other which areas. is a sort of hard yeah. sell isn't it because it kind yeah. of runs as you said <laughs> counter to the the way that the uh, the platforms and the music yeah. industry has historically worked so yeah, is that um we'll come to you in a second david because okay. i know you've got things no, to say about this I'm but listening. Is, okay um i mean is this a, a case that we've seen recently for instance social media platforms bowing to pressure and uh, and withdrawing advertise uh, um Mm. corporations withdrawing advertising because they say well, they don't want their adverts running next to content that they and their um their users find uh, the, the people who buy their products find offensive so is it almost like if you educate the people at the bottom they put the pressure on the people in, in, in the middle and, and and something can happen well in a way we're doing that because that's the only thing that's the only power we have <laughs> you know yeah. everybody's we've been trying to you know for a long time i've wanted the ability to control the kind of ads that appear on my youtube content but i have no control and so it's like you know it's the sort of welling up as a result of world events that maybe is putting pressure on some companies to say like hey wait a minute actually so if enough people say to spotify we want our money that i want that 10 euros that i spend a month to go directly yeah. to i only stream uh zoe and david's music i want five euros a month to go to each of them yeah. but right but they would listen but it, do you think? it is like it, it's kind of you know it's akin to a protest in the street you've got the protest in the street now what happens <laughs> what, what do we do next so yeah. um so i'm a little more pessimistic that consumers will rally around artists in this way however I mean, look at all the things like fair trade coffee or, you know, you know, we're a clothing maker and we don't use sweatshop labor. You know, we only make our clothing in these, such and such countries, you know, stuff like that. It can be done. Um, and I think it's, we sh certainly should try it to try to get consumers to write the streaming services. I was hoping there uh, just another streaming service would come out that was oriented that way. I mean, in a way, Bandcamp is kind of becoming that. One way that a crowd of people, or a, whether it's small or large, can affect change is through legal action or mm -hmm. through um, governmental pressure regulation. Mm -hmm. Do you think that perhaps that is more realistic as a as sort of starting point because there's a structure there that, that will force um, streaming platforms to listen? Uh, Zoe, you, did you want me to oh, take that? No, I was just, you know, you said government regulation and immediately, you know, I just thought of like, that's so fraught in America. Maybe that, that I, just because government regulation, like regulation is made by lobbyists for the most powerful entities. So, I, you know, but go ahead. Well, well yeah, actually, well, that, that's my point is, well, well, we might actually have a window here right now because I know the the US government is trying to figure out a next round of the stimulus. And there's a fair number of musicians that I know who have, you know, not only got unemployment, but I mean, it's possible that maybe we could have some sort of like 
stimulus to artists like if you're you know just an extra category is like hey we'll match your streaming revenues or we'll double your streaming revenues or something like that for six months it's not out of the realm of possibilities um, it's just as crazy as um, a friend of mine just applied for like a PPE loan and started a new company out of it I mean mm -hmm. It's not out of the realm of possibility. My, my issue though is that the long history in the United States with blanket licenses, whether they're the BMI and ASCAP blanket licenses, or they're the compulsory licenses, blanket licenses for mechanical royalties for songwriting, um, those, those processes were rapidly captured by industry players and those rates were forced below you know, <laughs> below what anybody would have agreed to in a market economy. Mm -hmm. And they're, they were made unsustainable. Everybody's across the industry is recognizing that you need to have a lobbyist. So like our booking agencies have formed organizations so that they can have a lobbying group on Washington. The independent venues have so that they can have a say and have some power against all the venues that are run by Live Nation. And, you know, so it's like everybody's recognizing that you need to have a voice and we need to get a story out. So I, I feel like that's the positive thing right now is that there is more awareness mm -hmm. and more of an opportunity um, to, to get a story across that we need some change and some help. The, the dream of the internet has been access to information. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it sort of feels like that fans who have been kept mm -hmm. at arm's length through this process mm -hmm. perhaps are being informed and, and are able to sort of add their weight to, to these things. Mm -hmm. that's, that's correct. Yeah. Well, we, that's, a, that's, a, that's perhaps a nice place to end it. Yeah. Um, it, it would be interesting to see, you know, obviously there's so much um, that we, we can't predict in the world at the moment, but it'd be interesting to see when perhaps the world has returned to, I, I hasten to say normal, but um, normal, yeah. something less <laughs> traumatic, mm -hmm. uh, how, how this all works out. Um, so thank you both for your time. I'm very, very grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm, with connections to fans in mind, Zoe, how can uh, fans connect with you and what and how should they do that? Well, uh, during this pandemic, I've become a professional email responder. And uh, you can find me at zoekeating.com. My email address is up there. I reply. Um, that's how you can find me. And my, my music is there. And um, I'm working on doing small, intimate live streams so that I can stay connected and have that feeling of connection. Because I, I feel like uh, yeah, I need money, but I need that feeling of connection with my audience more than anything. So right, and the audience must love that out. direct uh, must love that direct response as well. So far, <laughs> great, yeah. good. And David, what about you? Um, DavidLowryMusic.com. That's where I have my solo album uh, right now. And or you could go to Bandcamp and stream or buy. And since this is an English program, but it's probably the only American song that ha album that has a song that revolves around a Tracy Emin exhibit. It's the first <laughs> song on the record called Frozen Sea. So go to Bandcamp and find uh, my new solo album that I have up there. Fabulous. Well, uh, thank you very much for being part of this conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying and hoping to get perhaps people from the, uh, from the streaming side to join this conversation as well. And if we do, maybe we can get uh, one or two of you back to uh, talk to them directly. But, okay, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope so. But uh, mm -hmm. let's see if that happens. So, Zoe Keating, David Laurie, thank you ever so much. Thank you. No problem. Thank you.